This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. These magazines said I could have it all. You lied to me, Cosmo. Kathy, contemporary women do not base our life happiness on the state of our relationships. That's from the animated version of the iconic cartoon, Kathy. I'll sit down with the real-life Kathy Geiswhite to talk about her new book. And remember the old theory that the population explosion poses a huge risk to the planet? We'll talk about new work that turns that on its head. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Thursday marked Holocaust Remembrance Day. Thousands of Jews from around the world gathered at the site of the notorious Nazi death camp Auschwitz to march alongside Holocaust survivors and international politicians in the March of the Living. It's been held annually since 1988, and this year it highlighted rising anti-Semitism. It's one of dozens of events around the world, including the launch of Liberation 75 here in Toronto. We need to ensure that the students know about the Holocaust. We can highlight Toronto. We can build the community. We can build this as an event with participating organizations from around the world. And right now we have over 70 participating organizations. Really a time to bring best practices all together to bring the students in, the teachers in, really educate a whole new generation about the Holocaust. Canadian women are pushing for changes to roadside breathalyzer tests after they both failed due to medical conditions. 61-year-old Jolyn Neal was arrested in Victoria when she failed the test because of COPD. 76-year-old Norma McLeod, a mouth cancer survivor who also has COPD, was unable to make the machine register and had her car impounded and license revoked. I guess I just feel the police aren't having any... Sympathy for the ones that are having a hard time breathing. McLeod has launched a constitutional challenge of impaired driving laws. How safe are your medications? A UBC professor says Health Canada needs to be more consistent with other countries when it comes to issuing warnings about the safety risks of certain meds. The lead investigator says between 2007 and 2016, Health Canada issued safety warnings for only 50% of drug safety issues identified in the U.S., Australia and the U.K. A Canadian $10 bill featuring Nova Scotia civil rights pioneer Viola Desmond has been named Best in the World. The vertical banknote featuring Desmond's portrait and a map of her North End Halifax neighbourhood went into circulation in November. It won the coveted Banknote of the Year Award, beating out designs from Switzerland, Norway, Russia and the Solomon Islands. 
We want to start a cheerleading club. Who will you be cheering for? Ourselves. That's a clip from Palms, the latest Hollywood movie with a Zoomer twist. It's set in a retirement home and the cheerleaders are the residents. It stars 71-year-old Rhea Perlman and 74-year-old Diane Keaton. Based on a true story, Palms is set for release May 10th. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Of the 169 million adults in this country, nearly 37 million are single, 16,350,000 women, and two men. I'm joking, of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, man or woman, this is one of the most amazing times in history to be single. I should know. My name is Kathy. I spent last Saturday night celebrating my Employee of the Year nomination with a box of Oreo cookies. That's a clip from the animated version of the Kathy cartoon. For 34 years, the iconic comic strip ran in nearly 1,400 newspapers, becoming a humorous touchstone for women in changing times. The real Kathy Guyswhite stopped by the studio to talk about her new book, 50 Things That Aren't My Fault. I was blessed to be able to connect with so many people, you know, who I never met, and now I'm meeting you. It was about... You know, navigating being a woman in those years. In those years, which started when I started the strip in 1976, the world was way different for women. You know, we were arguing about whether or not a woman should be allowed to have a job. That was the conversation. Unbelievable. Well, yeah, I think we're approximately the same vintage. Yeah. 1976. It was around then I had my first full-time job as a reporter, and I was the first woman that was hired. Wow. Congratulations. That's exactly the place I was in when I started the strip. I was the first woman vice president of an advertising agency, which in advertising agencies is more of an honorary title. I wasn't sitting on any board, but I was a writer and a supervisor, group of supervisors. And I was struggling with the times, which was, you know, coming to terms with the opportunity to be a woman in business and then the longing kind of for, (laughs) you know, the old way. Do you remember that? I mean, people took sides. You were a feminist and out there on your own. Always. Or you were a traditionalist and you were uh, wanted to be home. Never. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote in my, I wrote in my book about, I, well, I was both. I was trapped between two Bettys, Betty Crocker on one hand and Betty Friedan on the other hand. And I kind of had a foot in both worlds. Were you... Kathy of the cartoon? Is that you? Well, the first cartoons, I was literally illustrating myself and, and my frustrations at the time. And the and the character looked like me at the time. Long hair, big. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> I wore big, at the time, I wore big glasses. And my first drawings were so cryptic, the comic strip syndicate thought they were um, eyes. They said, well, what are those sticks sticking out of the sides of her head? And I said, well, those are, you know, she's wearing glasses. And they said, well, well, they look like eyes, so make them big eyes. So that's how she got that look. What made you write the book? My dream is that this book will be a friend to women, the same way that my comic strip was a friend. I hope not just our generation. I hope my daughter's generation can can read this book and get some insights into what we went through the dreams we had for them, what we know we thought we were going to fix that we didn't fix. But I I mostly hope it will help women 
learn to laugh at the little things. And so we have the, you know, the strength and energy to take on the big things. The fantasy of being the benevolent caregiver for those generations on both sides of me didn't exactly work out right. I mean, I I was so, my parents did not want my advice or guidance. My daughter certainly didn't want my advice or guidance. My aging body stuck in the middle didn't want my advice or guidance. And um, I was so used from all those years of writing, putting my frustrations down on paper in the comic strip that I naturally turned to paper when I just couldn't take it anymore. Being a caregiver to children and aging parents, that's kind of where a lot of people from our generation are kind of at now. I hope that my book, 50 Things That Aren't My Fault, will feel like a friend to women in the same way that the that the strip felt like a friend. I We have to be going through the same things now. It isn't just that the relationships are changing, that we're becoming, I'm becoming a parent to my parents. My kid is trying to parent me. It's that people are disappearing. You know, friends, My our generation thought we were going to be young and cool and free forever. And, you know, suddenly we're not. We're all facing the reality that we're not too young and cool to pass away. I've lost a lot of friends. But it isn't just that people are disappearing. It's that life as we knew it is changing and disappearing without our permission, which I, as a member of the baby boomers, you know, find offensive. (laughs) Why did you call the book 50 Things That Aren't My Fault? Women take responsibility for everyone and everything. We are the creators and nurturers of life. You know, we we take it all on. And because we do, it's all on us. You know, I feel like women are like giant purses. You know, we hold everything for everybody in the universe. And it's and it's a lot. And I think it weighs us down in ways that we're we don't acknowledge and I, at the, and and at a time of life especially when we're a little older when we should finally be able to start kind of relaxing and letting go of stuff i think the the burden is intense so i wanted to really start identifying things that are not our fault so maybe we don't have to take care of every single thing in the universe and maybe we can let go of a little bit of it one of my favorite essays in the book is called don't tell a woman to just wear jeans I don't care what size you are, it's torture for women to go shopping for blue jeans. When I write about how our relationship with blue jeans has changed, how when I was in college, and I assume you were, jeans were the great liberating item of clothing for women. It freed it freed us up in a way that our minds were getting freed at the time. Freed us to say no to little skirts and knee socks. It freed us to say no to um, having to look a certain way. It, it They were loose and liberating. Men and women wore the same styles back then. We wore the same, uh, same kind of cuts, the same brands. It was like a unisex thing. And as soon as they started making blue jeans, that quote for the woman's body, women started not fitting into blue jeans anymore. Writing this book was, I I didn't miss the attention and didn't miss the deadline, but I missed the connection with people. I missed the connection with women and their moms that I was so powerful for so many years. I know that a lot of women don't have a place to dump the frustration. And I know that my comic strip was a place where I could dump the frustrations that a lot of us shared. 
That was Kathy Geiswhite in conversation. Her new book is 50 Things That Aren't My Fault. Many Zoomers have grown up with the idea that the explosion of the world's population is one of the gravest threats to the planet. Here's a 1969 news clip. Overpopulation so long predicted has stolen upon us. It's getting worse week by week. Paul Ehrlich's 1968 book, The Population Bomb, gained wide acceptance with the dire prediction that millions would starve as we competed for scarce resources. Two new works explode that idea. Empty Planet by Daryl Bricker and John Ibbotson argues that the coming global population decline is a bigger threat. Population Bombed, exploding the link between overpopulation and climate change, takes aim at the idea that a growing population can only result in unsustainable increases in greenhouse gas emissions. That book argues that ingenuity and economic development will provide the answers. The Global Warming Policy Foundation published the book. I talked to its director, Benny Pizer, when he was in town. All the predictions over the last 50 years that uh, we will basically face starvation at a mass level, that people will die, hundreds of millions of people will die from starvation because of population growth, haven't come uh, true. So the reality is that we see well-being increased, poverty decreased, hardly any starvation anymore. I mean, people in India are now exporting food instead of importing food. So the reality is that population growth has not led to all these disasters that were predicted. And it's interesting, there's another population book that just came out in Canada with a very, very different conclusion that says that we are heading to a massive decrease in population, and that is going to be a big problem. That's right, that's right. I mean, we will still see an increase in population over the next two or three decades because the population is still growing globally, but the growth is slowing rapidly. And after about the middle or the end of this century, population will decline fast as it is declining in almost all uh, European countries. It's declining fast. It's declining in Japan. And that will be a much bigger challenge than we've seen as a result of population so growth. So these these two conclusions, in your opinion, don't disagree there? No, no. They, I mean, the book M- Empty Planet by the other two Canadian authors um, is based on very sound data, population data. So the growth rate, I mean, the irony is the growth rate of the population increase has declined for the last three or four decades. So the growth has slowed. It's still growing, but at a much, much slower rate than at the start of the 20th century. Now, back to your book, Population Bombed, they say human ingenuity or economic growth will will deal with the problems created by climate change, but you don't believe in climate change. The big question that... uh, we face is we don't know exactly what's going to happen in the next 50 years, but the book makes a very good case that whatever happens, we will deal with it just as we have in the past. And dealing with climate change, dealing with global warming 
means that you adapt, that you build houses that are better suited for either cold or hot, that have air conditioning, heating, things that we are used to in the Western world, but most of the rest of the world is now catching up to these kind of standards. And that means that uh, in all likelihood, we will be able with these technologies to deal with climate change in a way that previous generations perhaps weren't able to. Benny Pizer, thank you for this. Thank you. That was Benny Pizer, Population Bombed, Exploding the Link Between Overpopulation and Climate Change is by Pierre Desrochers and Joanna Shermack. It was shortlisted for the Donner Prize. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, Faz Kazi, and Justin Eacock. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.